I know that all of you wait roughly 12 months, depending on how the calendar works and if and when we actually record for this and only this. I know many of you are, in fact, patrons of a certain level, so you can get exclusive access to not one, but three of these episodes every year. And so do I have good news for you? Today is the day. It's the return of Food Month. And Yay. I have never seen a happier Caleb Stokes than the one that I'm looking at right now. As you all know, and I'm sure you've heard Caleb say a number of times, both on this podcast, the other podcast he's on, and in his brilliant writing, I'm sure that there are excerpts about Food Month and Red Markets and Phase Anatomy. This is the one month a year where Caleb really gets to be himself, really gets to lean into the content of this podcast. And so I don't do this for me. I do this for Caleb, and I do this for all of you. So with that, cheers to Food Month. Glass noise. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer. And this is the Mix Six, again, virtually drinking six beers, having six conversations. And rating it on a five-point scale. And uh, also a bad thing that happens to us occasionally is Food Month. And we're here now. You monster. And amongst it. Uh, so that was a that was a great segue. That is five years of broadcasting experience right there. Hell yeah. That. It was amazing. That's, he's a fucking professional. Mm -hmm. yeah. He is. Yeah, he, didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't plan that. The universe set him up for that. Uh, anyway, Look, nerds, we do a rating system for our beers here. It's on a mm -hmm. five-point scale, and Boy, now it's it? my co-host's terrible taste in food. The Hello. Star of the show, everybody. Well, folks, we've just been doing this so long that it's genuinely hard to remember what food opinions, classic food opinions I've shared and not shared. So it's possible we've already talked about this, but I don't know, and I don't care if we have, because it's post-1000 and there are no rules. So for this episode, we'll be using a rating system, excuse me, a food month rating system based on chili fixins. And I want to be clear, normally, I'm a man who would elongate the G in an ING word, fixings, but when you're talking about chili, it's very obviously fixins. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to be rating our beers on a five-point scale related to those things you either put on or eat with your chili when you're having chili. Do I know that it is June and many people are averse to eating a very hot bowl of beans and meat during the summer. I do know that. Do I care? I do not. I do not care. Because I it's eat chili all shame. year. It's a real <laughs> shame Baz is not guesting on this particular episode. I'm just it's a shame Baz that. isn't guesting on most I feel episodes. like Baz would have certain, certain gustatory criticisms of your tastes yes. or yep. lack of tastes in chili. Very strong opinions. Just Very strong and opinions. Instantly, mm -hmm. eloquently put forth, just like at the drop mm -hmm. of a needle, mm -hmm. drop of a hat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, but given that Baz isn't here, I'm just going to roll through this like a wrecking ball. Um, a one, the worst thing to put in chili and a quick way to ruin a good bowl of chili, sour cream. It's disgusting. It's poorly named. It tastes awful. It looks gross. And it makes chili taste like garbage. So don't put sour cream in your chili or in this case, don't drink that beer anymore. Okay. A well, two dusty servers we keep in the basement have just lit up. Oh yeah. Extra comment oh, yeah. processing power. Oh We've, yeah. I've, I'm calling the substation right now, telling them it's <laughs> happening again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Brace mm -hmm. here, 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 here they come. So yeah. hit, hit to Let two. Give you We're a, coming online. Yeah. A uh, a brief uh, dissertation on why not sour cream. Do you know who doesn't want you to 
sour cream. The person that named something sour cream. It's history's greatest troll. And so the fact that put, people put it on literally everything is disgusting to me. Get out of here, all right? A two. Otherwise a pretty okay food, but does not belong in my chili. Get it out of here. Do not dice up onions and put them on top of a bowl of chili. What you've done is you've ruined an otherwise delicious bowl of chili. Now, I find it more acceptable because you can kind of eat around the onions, just like you can kind of drink this beer, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that. Instead, you should aim for threes, fours, fives. Dream big, folks. Now we're getting threes. Chili's a nightmare food for me because of my weird proclivities. Well documented on this show. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is very funny to me when I watch other people eat chili. When someone like really dices the onions fine right. versus like when there's like a big honk of onion like visible in the chili, like yeah. when they make a salad in like a fucking pizzeria, they just cut the like a single carrot long ways <laughs> and lay it on top like a fucking insult. Like I always love that. Right. Yeah. Like uh-huh. a big what? hank of onion hanging out of a chili. I'm always just, right. oh, yeah, that looks shitty. That looks bad. Yeah. Yeah, the emos down the street from me, when you order a salad, they pretty much just give you a head of dole lettuce that someone mm-hmm. dropped some ranch dressing on. It's like, thanks, guys. Yeah, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, now we're getting into the stuff that you want in your chili. It's there to enhance or it's an expectation. A three, cheese. Cheese goes in chili. And you can be really dynamic in what kind of cheese. You want to put some cheddar in there? Put some cheddar in there. You want some pepper jack? Put some pepper jack. White cheddar? Go nuts. You got options here. A four. Cheese. It's that now, I want to be clear, at, at a right. three, though, does that mean someone would be like, well, this is a cheeseless chili, and mm-hmm. you'd be okay with that? Mm, I mean, like, I've had good chili without cheese, but my expectation is that chili comes with a cheese option. And that good che- and that good chili that you've had that didn't have chi- uh, cheese in it, it would have been improved had they added cheese. 100%. It only makes it better. Exactly. That's right. Okay. okay. Yeah. Well, a four. I mean, it, it has like a sort of aesthetic consideration as if fives cannot exist without threes. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, I, I won't examine that too deeply. Go well, on. as you know, I'm not going to rate any beer a cheese anyways, because no neutral <laughs> beers. So this is for posterity. This um, is for us. This, this is, is actually for right. Caleb and I. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's right. right. That's for you to suffer right. with. Uh-huh. Um, a four. Now, now we're into improving chili significantly. And if you mm-hmm. really want to step up your chili game easily and quickly... Throw some jalapenos in that bitch. Uh, and you know what? Don't get fancy with it. They don't need to be fresh jalapenos. You don't need to chop shit up. Get some pickled jalapenos. Buy a jar. Put the little jalapeno juice in there a little bit. Give it some tang. But jalapenos mm-hmm. in chili only make chili better. Mm-hmm. Now we're into five. And this is like peak chili eating. This is the stuff you go back for. In fact, this is the stuff, much like a five beer, you have to stop yourself from eating too much of because it will cause issues past the bowl of chili. Fritos scoops. Not just mm-hmm. Fritos, not the little guys. And don't get me wrong, I don't want chili cheese Fritos. Get, get out of here. Regular old Fritos scoops. The fat boys, the thick Fritos. Wait, regular? So, like, not even like the flaming hot, like the prison no. ramen kind oh, of. Oh, re- God, no. No. Regular yeah. old Fritos. So just corn. But then. Yeah. The thick boys that you can <laughs> yeah. scoop with. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. at this point, chili's actually just become a dip. For your yeah, Fritos yeah, scoops. Exactly. exactly. And the yeah. way, yeah, that's exactly right. The way chili evolves is when chili is, in fact, just a topping for a Frito scoop. So I, I just have one question about this rating system. Does this change at all for a chili dog versus just a bowl of chili? Well, 
That's a great. Sounds question, like a whole right? other rating system. It's, uh, we have it's a whole, a whole other. That's right. true. You're right. It is, right. but I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you my my short opinion here. One, don't eat a chili dog. Two, <laughs> if you're going to eat a chili dog, eat it with a fork and knife like a civilized adult. Okay. Okay. So okay. just something to think about, folks. So wow. neutral. We could really no, combine the yeah. hot no. dog rating system of which uh, right. I <laughs> still bear the I stars. Open, I open and, a can of worms here. I see. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I do want to clue the listeners in. Again. Yeah, Go. I do want to clue the listeners in to why I picked chili rating. It's actually semi-topical. Uh, in our local community, there is a very famous uh, shitty airplane plane hanger functionally called Casper's that has been serving mm, fine chili for like 60 plus years in downtown Springfield. Oh, yeah. It does become look an institution. like a World War II ammo dump. Yes. Yeah, it's, it a, it's a Quonset bizarre. hut. It's yeah. literally yeah, a Quonset right. hut. Yeah. 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 Uh, Captain America <laughs> got his powers under that. Okay. Um, but but we, we learned this week that Casper's is leaving that establishment and they are moving to what was formerly Anton's, another long-term shithole of a restaurant in Springfield, Missouri, that went out of business during COVID. And so there's been much talk this week about chili in our community. And I thought, if we're going to talk about chili, I have some thoughts on chili. So cheers mm -hmm. to Casper's. Cheers to me. Cheers to Food Month. We're going to get some beer. We'll be right back. Hey, Spencer, what are you drinking? So a couple weeks ago, uh, producer Ross had one of the new Cali Squeeze variants from Firestone Walker. He had the Tropical, uh, which is a bunch of different fruits that typically we've not cared for on this podcast, mixed into a Hefeweizen. You didn't love it that much. Uh, so today I am drinking the S-tier version of Cali Squeeze. And this is the Blood Orange Hefeweizen. Caleb, I believe you've had a, more than a couple of these now, now too. This yes. is a delicious beer, people. Delicious. So I'm going to go ahead and drink it just for, you know, to, those are the rules. Austerity mm -hmm. reasons. Yeah. Of mm -hmm. He's sipping it, but not exactly as I say it. There is a mm -hmm. delay. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, It's a five. I'm going to be honest. This is like peak summer beer. Um, This is a Frito Ooh. Scoops, which is, again, of course, when you've leveled up chili by turning chili into a dip. So this is a hard Frito Scoops. Um, God bless this beer and, uh, uh, God bless yourself. Uh, Caleb, what are we talking about in dissecting our fun? Uh, well, we were recently at, uh, Moon City Con. We were a great event, by the way. Uh, wonderful event. And, uh, I was tempted by, uh, the, the men over at Metagames with their, you know, board game wilds. Sirens. Sirens, yes. To, uh, buy Trek 12. Um, which is a legacy roll and write game about climbing the Himalaya mountains. Um, there was talk of, a, uh, there was a whiff of authority of German board game awards. Uh, and so I, just, I investigated to see if they were right. And damn, if it's not a pretty tight little roll and write. Boy, it um, is good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so um, prim Trek 12 is yeah. interesting, but, and there's like a single player, well, not a single, yeah, there's a single player version, but there's like a standalone version where you can just play one game of, and we did that, and obviously I want you to talk about that, but, but I'm really excited for you to talk about kind of the legacy e expansion of the game universe mechanic here, Caleb. Yeah, so the, the basic game premise is that you're given this mountain, it's really just a, um, 
board with a picture of a mountain on it with 19 abstract circles on it in variable shapes in terms of like how they are nested next to each other. Um, you are going to be placing numbers in those circles. Once you place a number, every number you place has to be connected to the previous number. So you can't jump around in the circles. You have to like basically make an entry point onto the board and begin your roll and write experience. You're trying to build fixed lines, which are connected numbers. So like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And then you're trying to build mapped areas, which are like five, 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 and five all next to each other. Uh, those both score, uh, the mapped areas score the highest number you have in there, plus the number of circles. And then the fixed numbers, uh, score the highest number you have in that plus the number of circles. Then you have the sort of railroad ink bonuses for like longest fixed line, longest map, and anything that you have that's a number that's like, oh, I just have like a four next to a 10. That doesn't count for anything that, that, that gives you negative points at the end. Uh, and that's the game and you're going for points. Uh, where it gets super interesting is how you generate the numbers you write down, mm -hmm. which are two D6 dice, one which is one through six, and one which is zero through five. And this is like the thing that like uh, makes me think, oh yeah, German Board Game Awards. Because it's like one of those choices, like a Haba dexterity game, like one of those yellow box games, where you're just like, oh, well, that's the most clever and efficient action economy I've ever seen <laughs> Yep, in this game designed for four-year-olds. So you're just rolling these dice, but you can do whatever the fuck you want with them. You can take a lower die and just use that number. You can take the upper die. You can subtract one die from the other. You can uh, add the dice together, or you can multiply them together. But the devious thing is, with these 19 circles you are given this little check card with symbols of all of those functions, like lower, upper, minus, plus, times. And there's 19 check marks on them, meaning that if you take the times thing too many times, more than four, you can no longer do that to the dice for the remainder of the game. And that's when where this gets like super interesting and adds a whole level of stress to a roll and write. It uh, um, it had I, more I than any roll and write I've ever played. The um, panic meter, because like all roll and writes are really just like a race against how quickly you realize you fucked yourself. Like that's every roll and write <laughs> I've ever played. Mm -hmm. yeah. But with this uh -huh. game, it's so interesting because the first like two or three rolls, you like, God, this game's going to be easy. I'm going to absolutely crush this. And then what you realize is it seems so easy because maybe in the first two or three rolls. You've taken the higher dice three times because it was better to create a long line. And then you instantly realize you can only take the higher dice one more time the rest of the game. That action yeah. is no longer available to you. So whereas other rolling rights are these linear increases where you start to see like the end of the train tracks and you realize there's nothing you can do to stop the train, but you're going to keep going. This one goes from like, boy, this is really a pretty day to, oh my God, they've detonated a bomb in front of me in like a matter of seconds. And the, the, the sheer radical panic associated with that after two or three rolls for me was such a joy. Like what an utter ride. Yeah. Um, so that, that's very interesting. And then uh, there have been legacy rolling rights. So like, welcome to the moon. Sarah and I just played through the initial campaign of that. Um, 
the initial campaign is a training for each board, and then you go on, and the choices and the difficulty gets ramped up. Um, but that's a legacy insofar that, like, you have a point system that you're competing with across eight boards instead of one. And it's a legacy in that uh, it's like the crew is a legacy game. Like, okay, right. here's the story of more sci-fi gibberish. Anyway, play the role of right. <laughs> <laughs> completely unconnected. Uh, Trek is also that way, but when you play Trek mode, you have um, <clears throat> individual player powers that you can buy using the points you get at the end of a series of three different maps. So the legacy mode is a competition across three separate journeys where you can either be spending your victory stars for additional player powers during that individual mountain or you can be hoarding them and those abilities for the end game to get more victory points and win the total game. And here's where Trek beats the shit out of um, Welcome to the Moon, because most of the box of Trek is a series of closed manila envelopes with score objectives that you can't open until someone meets that score objective in the Trek mode. And I am so ravenously curious to open those things that I want to play so much so, like campaigns of Trek way more than I want to play yeah. uh, Welcome to the Moon stuff. And that I, it's a devious psychological trick. You could even say it's cheap, and I'm stupid for falling for it. Regardless, I'm not sad I purchased the game. Nope. Is what I'm saying. Nope. Yeah. I would have you those things on my forehead. No, I've been trying to. Hey, I'm like trying to get Sarah to play it with me. We're in the middle of a different campaign game. I'm like, hey, what if we just took a break and played some Trek? You want to play some Trek? How you know we got a spare moment? You want to play? And she's just like, no, no. I am but, such uh, uh, like my lizard brain is so goaded by that kind of thing that after one playthrough of just like a standalone board, Caleb and I were immediately talking about playing again and doing otherwise suboptimal things for scoring exclusively for the purpose of opening envelopes. Yes, yes. Like, absolutely. Uh, but it feels like different game. mountains, if I had to guess. Uh, I haven't, I haven't yeah. had a chance to open any yet. Yeah. But, I mean, you're going to play a little bit, too, before you have a chance to open any. So, like, that's the that's initial right. experience with the game. But thus far, it feels like additional maps, which is very interesting, because mm -hmm. um, they do a thing with the circles. If they are double-circled, that is difficult terrain. So you can't put a number above a six there. So it starts hampering your movement even further. Um, so I'm very interested to see what is in those devious little manila envelopes because I am a dumb chimp that really would like to see what was in the envelope, please. Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. Yeah. Very excited by this game. Uh, if any of you have played it, do not spoil the envelopes, but I'm curious if you have thoughts uh, about Trek as a roll and write feels like a good iteration on a genre that was getting, frankly, way too far down the rabbit hole. That being said, I'm excited, and hopefully in an upcoming episode, we'll talk about the pinball roll and write that we played far too much of while we were at Moon City Con as well, because we had a real go with roll and writes the last couple of weeks. So with yeah, that, yeah. Uh, we're going to grab more beer, and we'll be right back for Jukebox in the Back. Caleb, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a beer donated from our buddy Burke when he came to town. Yay. Uh, Lift Bridge Brewing Company's Fireside Flannel, which is a brown ale. Mm. So. Yeah. Browns can be good. 
Yeah, for some reason when I hear toasty flannel, toasty layers of flavor. Yeah, when I hear flannel, I think like porter or stout. So like brown is just that. I didn't see that coming. Is what I'm saying. That's fair. Brown's not really a summer beer, though. Uh, at least for oh, me. No. Oh, ooh, yeah. God. Ooh, that's a face. That's a face. Yeah. It's not a good face. What it do, son? Is it a two? Is it onions or is it sour cream? It's probably sour cream. That's a sour cream face if I've ever seen one. Yeah. That's a man who just had sour cream in his chili. No, it tastes... Here's the thing. You'd like it if you wanted a scotch ale or like a rye. Mm -hmm. Like, that was really harsh. Overly Mm. rich. Um, I, I detect some of the, like, caramelization of a brown in, like, the back of it. But it's mainly just extreme. I think it's like a high one for me, but it's a one. Like I, I don't want to drink any more of that. My throat kind of hurts. <laughs> uh, it's it's not like a fun like like one. Um, but yeah. it's it's certainly not good for me. So maybe that's a, <laughs> that's a sour. That's yeah. a sour cream. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah that's right. Uh-huh. That's exactly right. You don't want to get any yeah. more of that chili. It's ruined. Yeah. It's re- even if you can still in the back of it, you go, there's chili in there, but it doesn't matter because the sour cream's one. Yeah, it's contaminated. Uh, right? It's yeah. contaminated. Yeah, you've poisoned the well. Hey, we're in a jukebox and back and Scribblykins suggests and, and Caleb, you have a what I'll describe as a memory. Is Scribblykins a new uh, contributor to the to the uh, episode planning? OG. No? Okay. Uh, OG okay. patron. Thank you, Scribblykins. Mm-hmm. I don't remember ever saying Scribblykins before in my life. So if it's just that I've not said it, then what a gift to me. And, and, and frankly, thank you to you, Scribblykins. Scribblykins suggests, and I know that producer Ross has some thoughts about this. Mm-hmm. Talk about how video game music is fucking awesome. Or expose other weird thoughts you may have about the intersection of music and gaming. And it's unfortunate that we don't know any people adjacent to our podcast (laughs) who do a lot of content about, I don't know, weird music or Mm -hmm. subgenres of electronic music. That would be just so incredibly helpful. But given that we don't know any of those people, I thought I'd kick this over to producer Ross. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Video game music is is really awesome. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for noticing. Um, And uh, I think a lot of there's, there's obviously a ton of different factors. Uh, I think part of it is it's an emerging field of art and technology and it has changed so rapidly in the 40 years it's been a thing um, that uh, artists are by necessity pioneers in their field. They're figuring out new shit because the, 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 the tools to make video games have not existed until that, that certain space. Um, Also um, music in a video game is seen as a necessity as soon as sound cards and things became possible. But it was never like the focus of a game. You never bought a game. Almost you almost never bought a game because of the music. Um, you bought it because of the gameplay or the graphics or the story or whatever else. Um, so, and I think a lot of the people in charge of making decisions of video games knew they needed music, but weren't musically sophisticated or like bound by convention, like a record mu- music, uh, a record executive. You know, in the music industry would would be like. A pop song has to sound like this. This is too experimental. Um, but a video game producer would be like, yeah, sure, whatever. Uh, so I think they're, they were given more freedom and had to deal with a lot of technical, like figuring new shit out and dealing with technical restraints. So, uh, for example, there's an early video game composer, uh, Tim Folan, 
who got to start uh, doing like uh, I think it was called sequencing where you would um, program in a song in, in basically a sim, well, not assembly, but like in a very technical way. And he got to start doing sounds on a computer that could only make one bit sound generation, uh, basically monophonic square waves. But if you, you played them fast enough or slow or stretched them out, they would sound like music. So he, the, he got started doing an eight bit sound, one bit sound. Um, and then he More. went on to the Nintendo, um, and dealing with s- just squeezing every, bit of technical power out of the, you know, Nintendo entertainment system uh, and then other systems uh, led to a lot of crazy stuff. And then you have um, a lot of like Japanese uh, video game composers like Akira yes. uh, Yamaka, who did the Silent Hill series. Um, you know, it comes from a very background uh, and was allowed to like do shit that sounded like prog rock and trip hop and all these other emphasis. And they were like, not. Um, and then like the Jet Set Radio composer, uh, mm-hmm. Hideki uh, Naganuma, uh, he did just, yeah, let's bring all these sounds of this era and also for some reason, Dragula. Oh, wait, no, the Americans imposed, uh, uh, decided to put in Rob Zombie's Dragula and Jet Set Radio. Well, when, when Rob USA, Zombie says, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when Rob um, Zombie makes a song that slaps that hard, you put it in a video game. I so, think it was you know. legally required in everything, every soundtrack that's in the right. 90s. Um, yeah, that's right. yeah. We could do an entire podcast series about why is Dragula in this soundtrack uh, for movies right. and games. Yeah, um, we used to be a country. We used to have Dragula <laughs> everywhere. We, we did. Used, you know what? We used, we used to have all. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have shared values, and they were Rob Zombie's Dragula. <laughs> but I think it's those two factors of techn- of dealing with new technology and innovating and pioneering simply out of necessity, and also like kids in a candy shop like we have we have money and you uh, you have a, a an amount of time to make music that sounds appropriate for this video game but we're not going to be like it be a record factory or a hit factory for like pop music yeah. that, that right. make very formulaic songs under a very uh, tight constraint just experiment yeah make it sound like tangerine dream who gives a shit uh it sounds spooky um sounds good to me uh or like weird ambient soundscapes like fuck it uh and then of course there's actual you know professional musicians coming in like trent reznor for the quake soundtrack and just doing weird ambient soundscapes and industrial drone and shit like that and video gamers were like yeah that sounds cool yeah, and then sometimes, and then sometimes, like in the classic Mighty Morphin Power Rangers game for the Super Nintendo, <laughs> someone just makes the bangingest music you've ever heard. And I think often about how great that soundtrack is. I don't actually care that it did or didn't go with the game. It's just music I want to listen to, regardless of whether or not I'm running around Dino Zord and somebody's face off. And I think what's so what's interesting to me is I kind of reflect on on video game sounds, video game mm-hmm. music. So some video game music uh, exists, I think, to enhance the, the setting or, or, or the gameplay. You know, like underwater Mario music uh, is mm-hmm. like very distinct and give, honestly gives me a little bit of panic. Um, and more recently, uh, like the Final Fantasy VII remake, the, se- the, the soundtrack is absolutely incredible. And just this last week I downloaded, and I'm going to screw this name up, Nier Automata, Nier Automata. And you want to talk about like good video game music. Oh, that yeah. shit is just good video game music. But sometimes video game music is just great fucking music. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for the Super Nintendo. And um, 
so I think there's some of that ambience, moon setting, world building stuff that's great and makes games better. And then mm-hmm. I think there's just fucking bangers. Yeah, that yeah. That would make make as much sense like reading or working or running or sleeping or uh, being the Red Ranger. And uh, and I, I'm generally a fan of all almost all video game music, almost all. I just want to give you. I'll send you a link. You listen to it, but like Tim Follins did the uh, music for Pictionary, the Nintendo version, and I'll just send you that 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 title song, and you can tell me if that's appropriate for a game for Pictionary. Um, oh, and it is a hundred percent not what you would expect uh, for. Uh, a game so um yeah just message it to you but like yeah that that, yeah so uh yeah video games are just a a weird field where people get to experiment because there's no standards there's no conventions um and straight okay here's my question is that still the case um, I think for indie games, it is. I think uh, like Nier Automata, like they have a full orchestra backing it. And yeah, um, like I'm thinking yeah. about that. I'm thinking about Hades. Yeah. I'm mm. thinking about Last of Us. Um, where, like, Hades the, is the kind of to a video game is just a soundtrack, like a soundtrack to a film. Or I mean, it's really got more sophisticated and um, like mainstream in that regard. Like Hades. Um, what is that? Supergiant Games. Uh, yes. Yeah, they 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 have sort of a tradition of doing like really interesting music and uh, appropriate music, but like, yeah. So I think there is sort of like a diverging of like smaller games sticking to like the old, like really chip tune kind of. Yeah. But like larger games, um, I think now video games are getting to be more like 40 years later, getting to be more conventional in that regard. Um, But like the influence video game music has had on mainstream music. I mean, it's kind of hard to tell. So, you know, so at yeah. that point, is video game music more of a genre you emulate rather than like a material type of music? Like, I th- I think so because now the tools have sort of standardized to a degree, and like you're there's not like the difference in generation between like an Atari versus a Super Nintendo was so like massive in terms of what you couldn't couldn't do, mm-hmm. um, and I think. Yeah, kind of like Moore's Law catching up to a degree. Um, I don't know, though. Like, we'll, we'll see. I mean, um, yeah, that's a, actually not something I have really thought about. I've been thinking more lo- reading up on the history rather than what's happening right now. Hmm. Let's do a let's do a Night Clerk episode just about where Ross ponders video game music again. And <laughs> we can we can ask that. They very would specific never, question. Ne- they, they would, would never, never talk about that. Story. Well, they have too many important things to cover. I understand. Um, <laughs> well, uh, Scribblykins, thanks so much for the question. Uh, I'll- Obviously, you've asked many questions in the past, as Caleb eloquently remembered, and I did too. Um, and so thanks again for your contribution to the podcast. And with that, uh, Ross is going to get a beer, and we'll be right back. Producer Ross, what are you drinking? Well, there's this tiny brewery called Stone. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, a real mom and pop operation. A real mom and pop operation, yeah. Uh, they have the series called Enjoy By. This is Enjoy By 4-2022. Hazy IPA. This is 9, 9%. Uh, ooh, boy, that is a really high for an IPA. Yeah. Um, ooh, yeah. It smells like now. I bought this as a joke on myself, but Ross is drinking it. So oh, yeah. Oh God! Yeah, here it is. Oh, oh. Hey Ross, how so, is it? 
It is not good. It is definitely a one. It is just intensely bitter. It's like punch you in the face. Has a you bit, want has that a after you smoked weed. Oh. There's no better cure for dry mouth than oh. the bitterest <laughs> drink you can find. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it one more sip, but um, yeah. uh, we can't have dead air, so I'm gonna have to pin when Ross does that. Oh yeah, God, it's even worse. It's just now uh, it build the yeah. aftertaste builds up, right? Mm-hmm. Ah, humid, really. Yeah, it's almost. A, I don't want to say it's malort, but like it's ugh, it's like ten uh, percent of malort at least. A- after rating something one, I don't believe you are allowed to say it's like malort. So, well, Uh, I I wish you were here so we could share it. So you could. The old rule has been proven. Yeah. Um, The only weed flavored or weed themed thing should be weed. There it is. Uh, At any point, if you transfer that brand to something else, a mistake has been made. Like, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The best weed flavored stuff is weed. (laughs) <laughs> absolutely yeah that's yeah. it you should never should never go outside that. it doesn't need no. it it's no. Yeah. yeah no we've solved it guys it's called we solved it. <laughs> yeah um hey we're into getting lit literature where we talk about mm, books tropes concepts you get it matt price suggests what are your opinions about the now common trope of evil superman pastiches commonly being used in comic books and television slash film, e.g. The Boys, Invincible, Brightburn. Why has this deconstruction of the Superman archetype become so popular? So I had to put this in here because I've never met uh, as quite a tenacious a Superman fan as you. Definitely not (laughs) this brand of Superman for certain. Right. Yeah. Um, And then to me, this shit is all old hat. So... Right. um, I, I am intrigued about where you stand on this versus where I stand on this versus where producer Ross is on this because you're not wrong. Holy shit, is it everywhere? Like, it's yeah, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good job, Matt. You you spotted them. Um, yep, they're there. But why? Yeah, I have a different answer than you do versus somebody else. So yeah, I I'm interested. Well, I mean it. It's um, it's not lost on me that I'm. We're talking about this while in the background of my Zoom, you see not one, not two, but three Superman posters uh, lining yeah. my office uh-huh. walls. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I uh, th- so the first time I encountered this kind of stuff, I found it interesting. Uh, I am a Superman fan. Yes, I-, I grew up on Superman. I still get moved to tears by the Superman theme, a la John Williams. I love for Superman. Um, having said that, I was not blind to the uh, kind of problems of that archetype, and so I was interested and have been interested in generally in stories that problematize or kind of poke holes at or take kind of the piss on the entelechy of Superman, and I've always found that interesting. I, I think, Caleb, you turned me on to or maybe even gave me my copy of All-Star Superman uh, which was one of the first times that like a very good writer said like, have you ever kind of thought about the problems of this myth system, for example, and like what it mm-hmm. does? And I thought that was like fascinating and interesting. And and it's not that I hadn't thought about it. It's kind of that I didn't want to think about it because for the same reasons I've not liked, you know, I don't want Chris Nolan to do a Superman film. For me, Superman is bright and punchy and flies around and, and flatly there doesn't need to be that much depth. Now, sometimes. what about Zack Snyder? Now, well, mm-hmm. okay. 
I, you know, I've not taken any time to to develop an opinion on Zack Snyder's Superman, but I'll I'll try to do that. Let y'all know how I feel. Um, so once I started to see slash read uh, kind of more nefarious takes on Superman, you know, unhinged takes on Superman or whatever you want to call them, like I, I found it interesting. I would tell you that, like, so I guess there are two questions here. Like, one, why, and two, how do you feel about it? Let me take the second one first. I'm growing a little tired of them just because there's not much nuance or interesting that has been added past. Well, yeah, but what if he did whatever the fuck he wanted to do and maybe he was a bad guy? Like, that's kind of, like, that's, it's not a very long trail for me mm-hmm. on some of that stuff. And so I, I get it. Uh, it's interesting, but it doesn't have a lot, like there's not a lot of depth to, to many of these now when I see them. As per why, uh, Superman is the most, one of the most singular um, shared concepts we have to define, uh, you know, flatly an American myth system and then immediately start to poke holes in it in meaningful ways. Uh, and so it's ripe for deconstruction and criticism. And I, I think it's generally been well done in places. So I don't know. I mean, that's kind of like my shitty answer to this question, but please jump in. I mean, my view is a bit more material. Like, I think that the the dogged lack of creativity and risk within Hollywood and especially the uh, screaming, gaping maw of streaming content consumption uh, means that everyone is certain that the only thing that will possibly make money is superheroes. And they are equally certain that all the good ones are bought up. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so then you start looking for second runs and also rands. And that's where you get like the 80s British invasion of comics, where you get the deconstructionist Watchmen, where you get the D, where you get Miracle Man, where you get like the origin of these ideas of like absolute power should never be trusted um, coming out of Thatcherian England. And so, like, I think the core concept of this is actually a really great expression. Like, I mm-hmm. design a game to this effect. Like, mm-hmm. my 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 problem with Lex Luthor is that he's got too much money, not his opinion of Superman. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, like I, I get the aesthetic, and I do think it has something to say about things, or at least did. Um, I think it's a pretty old hat thing to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's kind of recycled thoughtlessly a lot of times because we yes. just bought the property and that's what the property's based yes. off of. Um, and then uh, the the last part is that like I also think it still works because holy shit that has resonated. Like if you ever want to talk about unaccountability of power, and then you and then you're talking about what happens in you know England in the 80s. Yeah, we're just really at a full tilt, like mm-hmm. a terminal velocity of that and i think it's pretty easy to recognize that um because we live in a more cynical time i think it's hard to believe in the uh truth justice american way superman for a lot of people however i don't think it's particularly interesting to say that like i don't think it's particularly interesting to say like the vibes are worse than when superman was originally written like well shit man really yep Yep. (laughs) thanks It's this just is, not and, that interesting to me anymore because, like, yeah, I, I agree with the artistic sentiment, but like, also at the same time, what what else are you doing with it than right. like absolute power corrupts absolutely, and then it's often nothing. Like, it's it's very often nothing with it. Yeah. And Caleb, I think you've touched on for me what is probably coming more of a blanket 
uh, criticism uh, of this this kind of approach because we've seen you know so much media over the last certainly televised media over the last 10, 15 years, but you know media in all its forms over the last twenty plus. You know what if superheroes but bad, um, and it's not that there haven't been incredibly interesting uh, moments of inflection in there. Uh, you know, we all like fascists as long as there are fascists, you know, and so then we have, you know, 15 years of Batman. Uh, th- there have been good, good turns in here, but I am starting to grow, uh, and, and maybe you're right, maybe it's a material concern. I'm just growing tired of superhero stuff generally. I I am not finding, even in the newest season of The Boys, where, you know, the, the theory bit has been baked since episode one. Uh, there's, they've not expanded on the critical thinking aspect of the superhero ecosystem. It's how much more violent and disgusting can we make it? Heads up, a lot more violent and disgusting. Right. Um, <laughs> there, there is like, there's a real short path from what if superhero but bad to the terminus of what if superhero but bad thinking in a lot of media now. And so I just kind of like find a lot of it bland anymore. I, um, I think part of it is also, I think the superhero genre doesn't really do uh nuance well or like shades of gray i mean they they're trying to say oh this is shades of gray this is like more complex morality but it's still like they're just inverting it like instead of being incredibly good he's incredibly evil you don't have like superman the person who makes backroom deals and compromises with all the all you know stakeholders in this weird complex conflict to 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 get peace or something like that he doesn't do like you know uh, uh, anything like that. He just like just punches bad good people now. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's still mm-hmm. like, and that's something I think it, part of the Hollywood is like superhero means very simple morality, very simple yes. like yeah, you can't do complex, you can't do anything yeah. approaching the real world. Yeah, in terms I'm of even going to be like yeah, I, I would say like you can do interesting things with it. Like I I do find the concept of the Homelander interesting in that I think Ennis, through his sheer sophomoricness, maybe accidentally, does point out that um, this sort of fascist power fantasy, if achieved, if you get everything you want, sort of completely infantilizes him to you as a person. Like it just makes mm-hmm. you unable to grow past sure. the id age of four. And you just are this dignityless monster of death um, that is just a child rampaging through the world. I think as a like metaphor for celebrity and uh, mm-hmm. especially Ennis's obsession with like the American industrial, uh, the military industrial complex. Like, I think that's a, I think that's a wonderful idea because America is the infant terror. Like it is the giant baby murderer. Um but you said that in the first season and then you yep. made him a Nazi in the second season. And then we're still going like, I get it. Like that, yep. that's the thing. Like uh, it might be that like in serialized media, like a comic book, the lack of arc means that even though I think you can still use the superhero to tell an interesting story about unaccountable power, um, it has to be combined with something. Now it's not enough to say, you know, you know, corporations are bad guys. Like you it's gotta be, you got to take a twist on it. Um, and then even then it's got to stop. Like you can't go forever with right. that premise married to the other premise. Like I didn't have a follow up to red markets. That was zombies plus a metaphor about, I I don't, I don't know, tort reform or mm-hmm. like, like <laughs> I, you know, I didn't, uh, because like you got to change it up. Um, 
I think that's where we're at. Like, I don't, I, I don't want to be anti-genre and say you can't tell an interesting, like, bad superhero story. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I think you need to tell it and then stop retelling it. Like, right. not yeah. Superman, but bad again. Superman, yep. but bad again. <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. You yep. know what I mean? Yeah. You so, can tell anyway. a good one, but you should probably also tell a short one. Um, and, and <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, that's, that's kind of the teeth fall off. So. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Matt, thanks so much for the question. Uh, I am going to grab a beer and we'll be right back for Ask Mixed Six. Spencer, what are you drinking? So this is new-ish from Boulevard Brewing Company. This is Tropic Slam. What they're describing as a tart island ale. It's an ale with guava, with pineapple, orange, and other natural flavors. I don't really care for the phrase other natural flavors. That You've taken yeah, the time that... to list all these other things, so why don't you just go ahead and throw some commas in there, folks. Yeah, like you know Rattler uses other natural flavors because it's technically mm-hmm. a malt liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't say it on the can as far as I can remember. It's just lemon ginger <laughs> and then like um, natural flavors, which are not natural. <laughs> yeah. Guys, this is fucking delicious. Holy God. Ooh. Have you gone to the and, Tart Islands? And as you know, I think guava can fuck right off, but there's a lot of pineapple, so it's got a real like juiciness mm. to it. Mm. Mm-hmm. 4.2%, not too sweet. Oh, that's good. Yeah. This Pretty is a now. this is a Frito Scoops. It's two fives for me. Yeah. Give it it's it's all it's all fives and ones on this episode. I'm throwing off my own bell curve. This is this is unbelievable. I am shook. Shook by this beer. Um while I sip on this gift, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh in Ask Mix Six, Stephen Lee asks. Is gifting games, video, or board a good move or not? Does it create unwanted social pressure? Is it just a waste of a game that collects dust on the Steam list? So, I thought that was a good question. I, I am struggling with this myself. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, I thought it would be a... I thought it would be an Struggling with giving or getting games? Giving. Like, I missed your mm. birthday this year, buddy, and I'm sorry, but I didn't know what to get you, because you're not, not drinking really anymore. Right. And... I am not. I got a bad record on giving you games of any type, convincing you to get you to do games. Really, just striking out front to back, bottom to top. Uh, like Elden Ring, big swing and a miss. I got okay with Returnal. That was good. Oh no, Returnal was a home run. Control also a home run. That was Ross, but yes. Uh, oh shit, that was I, Ross. I, Damn, I can I concur with Control, but that's a Ross recommend. Yeah, Returnal. Um, Returnal was a slam dunk. You nailed that one. Um, but I didn't know about could, board games. I didn't know what you right. were playing. Like and like, it feel like it's unwanted social pressure if you give somebody a game. It feels uh, pushy. Like play this with me. Uh, well, pretty much every gift is though to some degree. Like how most gifts, ha- like most things in general, require you to spend time on them. Like very few, aside from art, which requires you to have space to hang it up. Um, like most things in clothing, well, that requires time. So like. Um, I think one digital games are always a good gift idea. If you're like, I need to give this person a gift because of birthday, Christmas, whatever. Uh, digital games are good because um, if they're a game player in general, because it won't take up physical space in their house. 
Um, so if nothing else, maybe they don't play it, but at least you're, you're not like creating trash for them to take care of, like something that they're going to have to give re-gift or sell, which is a pain in the ass or donate. Yeah. yeah. So like at a minimum, you're doing no harm. So I think a gift at a minimum should not like be more of a burden than a benefit. So I think digital gift giving is good in that regard. So here's where, so here's where I like, I don't think objectively this is a bad idea giving games as a gift board or, or, or video. I do mm-hmm. think that um, if you're going to do that, and this is probably true of gifts generally, but I think it's especially true of board games and video games, which are maybe more, more time consuming than other gifts that are less novel and more useful, so to speak. I think mm-hmm. that you got to be damn sure you know the recipient's preferences and and likes like uh, I think yeah. where it creates kind of a gap, uh, an uncomfortable gap in social pressure, is when you get a gift because, for example, you know someone's into board games, and that's about the extent of what you know. So you buy the first thing you find at like Target or Barnes and Noble. Oh yeah, and, Monopoly. Uh, yeah, well, or now I have another yeah. copy of like Arkham Horror because you know someone saw a board game list that they googled and Arkham Horror was listed on it, and they're like, yeah, I heard him talk about nerd stuff once, and now. Um, so I think that's where the like unwanted social pressure for me comes from. Like, yeah, but I don't, I don't want to play that kind of game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to be some kind of a commitment. And especially if it's a board game or a video game, I suppose there's some social pressure to play it with you. And so now I'm locked in on a thing that I really don't like. So I think games more so than other novel gifts require a fairly high, uh, like bar for, or I'm pretty clear on preferences and uh, current inventory. Uh, buying mm-hmm. a game that I already have makes for a very uncomfortable kind of conversation. And so I think if you can clear those two bars, understanding preference and, and knowing inventory, I think it's a, I think it could be a really good gift. Um, and digital is certainly a good solution. I think Ross is onto something there about about the the, the footprint. Mm-hmm. I think also like smaller games are a safer bet, even if you're not sure. So like if you get a game that, you know, you, you like a video game that, you know, it takes like two hours to play or like, you know, a short indie game, something like that. Yeah. Throw that their way, because even if it's not they're they're, they're not going to, you know, if they play it a little bit, that's that's more than enough. You don't like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, I think the main thing is a gift giver. Just be OK with them not playing it for a while or at all or not playing it to completion. So yeah, or, yeah. yeah. or go right. to Caleb. So Caleb and Sarah have actually, or maybe like kind of the ideal uh, like model here. Uh, mm-hmm. Buying games is good, but if you know someone's really into a game, buying them game accessories or components that will enhance that game is great. Oh, so like yeah. once I got really into Scythe, Caleb and Sarah like uh, over two Christmases pretty much decked me out in good like years. any easy yes, yeah, nice. like the broken token <laughs> box stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the big ass board, upgraded components, the additional encounter, like that's a good way of not like risking it on game. Will they or won't they? And instead enhancing uh, time they were already going to spend that. That's like a sneaky way around here. Mm-hmm. Even leave the GOAT on the top rope. Great question. Uh, and hope that helps in your gift giving endeavors. Uh, and we'll be right back with, bringing it back your number one vote getter caleb what's that beer 
Uh, this is also from Burke and Lift Bridge Brewing Company, the Berry Blonde. Mm. Subtitle for this one is a Berry Fine Work of Art. Boo. Uh, mm-hmm. Have we liked right. a blonde? Like, does anyone remember a blonde on this show where we were like, hey, that's a really great beer? Hmm. Do I remember the blonde I just took a sip of? Like, the <laughs> is the real question. Um, I want to yeah. say yes, there is a blonde we liked, but uh, it was like a four or something. But I don't. Yeah, it's about all I can remember. Um, yeah, as a style, it's like, just it, it's like, yeah, like you remember like the era of like scented lipsticks in high school like mm-hmm. girls would wear it and you'd catch like a whiff of it as you went past it's mm-hmm. like that like it's like someone wearing that has been through this room in the last five minutes or so mm-hmm. and it like I, that weird sort of chemically berry taste Ugh. is in my mouth and then that's yep. it and then it's gone not and good. then it's and then it has passed away Huh. Um. Yeah. It, there's not much here. It's a two. Like it's there's. You can't be offended by it because what? Uh, but right. man, not not a whole lot going on in it. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say that much. Yeah. For those keeping scored home, that's an onions in your chili. Just gotta say that again because mm-hmm. it's food month. But like a big old hunk of onion, like a yeah, hand, just like a yeah. half one, just on top. More really technically, does. an onion in your chili. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Caleb, what are we talking about? Uh, in bringing it back, your number one vote getter, Alex C asks, "Can you resurrect Pogs in 2022? Hopefully, without making the NFTs." Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think the bit is, you market them to people probably our age and. They are nostalgia things. Uh, like, it's the same reason that behind me is an overpriced Lego set of the Ectomobile. Like, if you, uh, like, gave me, like, a, a Power Rangers pog that probably cost too much money for a thing that was just going to sit on a desk until I lost it off a desk, um, I think I'd throw a little cash your way just to be like, oh, man, I loved playing with pogs, and I really like the Power Rangers. But is there and, like an uh, exclusive? Is there like an exclusivity to the pogs? Like, are some pogs rarer than other? Oh, pogs? you have to. Like, that's 100%. the whole point of pogs, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, we've just made NFTs. You got to yeah. consider the full. No, challenge. they're physical objects, Caleb. Yeah. They, they will make the them pogs. into NFTs. I'm well, sorry. That's on them. Yeah, that's not on me. Not, not I, that officially. That was not licensed. Alex C's gauntlet. You have yeah. to bring them back. They cannot be NFT. Well, you can't prevent people from making NFTs of anything. Like that's impossible at this point. Like I don't know. They I think there's certain ways we could try, but uh, <laughs> outside of hunting all people who make NFTs down, and I don't know. What if circle. Pogs were like challenge coins? What if they had like a cultural? I'm like, sure there's challenge cultural coin currency NFTs. instead yeah. of a okay a physical currency. No, you 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 appeal to the the to the youths these days, the the, the Zoomers, uh, by hiring a bunch of influencers and TikTokers to do Pogger challenges, um, like stunt Pogs and uh, like do it from the roof of your house. Can you hit it uh, and things like that? Can you can you uh, 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 yeah? And so that that becomes the next viral sensation. Um, and then uh, the physical objects are cool with with the, the, the teens. That that's how you do it. 
It's almost uh, as if yeah. these soulless attempts to resurrect Box. Yeah. Right. So uh, here's what I know. If they were meaningless consumer, we get we hire Mr. Beast to do a Pog uh, uh, survive. Yeah, challenge. Uh, Hundred million views in a week. Yeah, yeah. From what I understand of the current network television approach, who's now making mm-hmm. like a Lego Master show and a big Kerplunk show, I think that like ABC or probably more likely Fox could bring Pogs back by doing like a every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. brought to you by American Idol. It's Pog Wars. And I think that you could probably bring Pogs back by just watching uh, grows men, grown men of a certain size throwing Pogs down on a table, like a, a really mm-hmm. well-lit and expertly shot table. But I think mm-hmm. that there's They're probably a the game back. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's probably Slammers. a season's worth of television in there. Yeah. All right. Okay, Hear hear me out. All right. Mm-hmm. You bring Pogs back as a casino game, but unlike other oh, casino games, shit. the dexterity-based casino game. I'm convinced we can teach a robot to throw Pogs, but we're not going to have a perfect... Boston Dynamics Pog. Yeah, Boston dealer. Dynamics <laughs> slappers, all right? Mm-hmm. And I we teach the robot arm to do this, but it can't account for everything. Maybe Grandma blows out smoke with a little too much overpressure because she's, mm-hmm. you know, rocking the oxygen next to the slot machines. Throws off a variable. It misses sometimes, which means you think you can beat the arm. You think you can to. beat the one-armed bandit. Only mm-hmm. in this case, it is a Skynet-like pog computer. Um, and it just becomes the dexterity. But you, you start to have ESPN cover it. Uh, there become oh, legendary so. slammers. Okay, like, we, oh, he we, brings out the widow. It's just got like a, like a, like a little thing on it. Okay, uh, we we, I, I we cover it. Yeah, we yeah, do an irony drenched like Cobra Kai style remake of Over the Top, but yeah. it's about pogs instead of arm wrestling. Bad neighborhoods. You got yeah. got guys playing mm-hmm. pogs in back alleys yeah. for keeps. Logan yeah. Paul is Sylvester yeah. Stallone. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. and I he, think he, that's he, the way you do it. You got to make you got to make pogs adult. You got to get yeah. it. Real seedy, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's not even in the Vegas casinos. Maybe you uh-huh. only get pogs if you go to Reno and Atlantic City. Like, what if, maybe that's like, a, yeah. what if it's like a competitive tournament thing? We pay like Twitch streamers to like do tier ra- rankings, and so it's like uh, there there's special tech for it, techniques and everything else. Yeah. So it's yeah. Yeah, like yeah, like video game, like Smash Bros or or speed running, but it's pogs. Uh, what about okay remember when we were in i guess it would have been middle school when surge there was like that big thing where you would go to a vending machine maybe you'd get a surge but maybe you'd get a t-shirt that was like wrapped up like a can so Mm -hmm. is it forehand wait caleb what's the is it urban chestnut that does the really awful beer tops where you rip all the the bee catchers yeah Yeah. just because you get all the bees in your beer as many as you could fit in there just no one at urban chestnut has ever actually drank out of a can and so they don't have or been outside or ever had a beer out of doors Uh, but hear me out uh you start dropping limited edition pogs inside ipas and then maybe once you drink through that thing or rip that top off bingo bingo there's a slammer down and then you would know everyone who has a pog is an asshole so that's, exactly that's a good right. yeah. like bad and it's down. definitely not a choking hazard you're definitely <laughs> right. not gonna get yeah shut down nope. by the fda no nope. yeah. not at all okay yeah. so we got we got hide him in beer we got mm-hmm. bring him back on on twitch we got get mm-hmm. some influencers to to do some stunt pogs we got mm-hmm. casino dexterity game 
and we have primetime television. I think we brought Pogs back in a lot of ways, Alex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just do the NFT full court push, push thing. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. once Reese it starts Brothers dipping down. on there, lapping we, down on the fucking late night we, desk. We can yeah. hire some crypto bros to promote the Pogs as the next in investment, you know, because of the rarity. So They're like, very actual. Oh, shit, coins. we made them NFTs again. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> no, they're gold coins, but better. They're Pogs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. What if Bitcoin, but, but printed on paper? Yeah. Yeah. Def- definitely. <laughs> I wonder if that would work. Yeah. yeah. Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to solve material currency issues and we're going to grab one more beer. We'll be right back. Producer Ross. What are you drinking? Uh, this is Two Pitcher Brewing, which I've never heard of them before, but uh, they have a Nordic jam uh, lager with Nordic fruit. It has a Viking who has like some strawberry and cherries on his on his Viking sword. Uh, he looks he's wearing sunglasses, so got high expectations. Smells very at fruity. the risk of sounding dumb for the umpteenth time on just this episode alone. What is a Nordic fruit? Yes, exactly my question. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, we'll be dumb together. Oh, here we go. We've packed this lager with cherries, elderberries and strawberries, all staples of a Viking warrior's diet to create a downright delicious party in a can jam on friends. Yeah, two uh, things were this at true at the same time. I thought, well, of course you'd put Nordic fruits in a Nordic jam. And then at the same time, I couldn't name a Nordic fruit if you put a gun to my head. (laughs) Nope. It's pretty good, actually. Um, Well, it's got Nordic fruit in it. Yeah, it's 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 pretty smooth. Very, very, it is very fruity, but not like artificial. Like it actually tastes like. uh, Well, Vikings uh, weren't eating gummies, man. I mean, yeah. Um, You heard it first here. Berries are fruits. Yeah, berries are fruits. Uh. (laughs) It it's kind of it actually tastes a bit like an alcoholic fruit punch now that I think about it. Like it, but it's not like overly sweet. It's only five point two percent. So, um, yeah, it's nice. Uh, I'm gonna give this a four. Uh, yeah. Hmm. And you know what that means for this entire episode? What there were no neutral beers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be yeah, damned. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you just keep, you know, that that's, that that's my motto in life. Mm-hmm. You just keep. Well, you learned it here first for motivated reasoning works. That's right. I don't know that's where right. else you could have gathered that information from, but, nope. um, but here on this podcast, <laughs> truly a lesson in sociology. Uh, Hey, we're into drunk enough. And Trekkie 140 suggests uh, a topic that might also be good for hypothesis. So we've decided to put it here. At what point can criticism of cliché become a cliché? Is that a bad thing? Is there a point when demanding something original becomes as toxic as the entitlement to get more of the same over and over forever? When do you think you should stop beating the dead horse? Mm. Is big. Yeah. So um, I thought this was an interesting question because this is Twitter. Um, Yes. I will also say that without getting too bogged down in the specifics, because A, I don't know when you're listening to this, and B, it's true whenever you are listening to this. The TTRPG discourse on Twitter is just on this endless fucking merry-go-round repeat. Like, everyone has shitty takes, 
But then, like, there's people calling out the shitty takes whose takes are so cliche <laughs> that they are being called out. And it's just a snake eating its tail. And I'm not saying there aren't bad actors in the TTRPG space. What I am saying is that talking about it does nothing, fixes nothing, and goes on for fucking ever. Um, I would, and I'll tell you that I think, the board I game think that's true. is the same. Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah. true for a lot of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. um, I've noticed that during Pride Month, like the the that's why I'm partnering with Meme, which I absolutely mm-hmm. love and I think is hilarious, is in some ways a reaction to. Yes, the criticism that corporations just put on a rainbow flag to make money and don't actually believe in anything is so old within the gay community <laughs> that mm-hmm. we're going to make memes about pointing that out. As if, and I, I do think that is, um, it, it is sort of an interesting phenomenon that uh, Trucking One Forty has identified, but I have no name for. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, it's it is it is like the when when the meta become like beating a meta horse to death, like it's just it, it gets so um, so old. And and I think what you've described about the TTRPG space, and again, I don't spend a ton of time in that space. I don't spend much time on Twitter anymore. But when I was on Twitter a lot. I was I spent a lot of time on the tabletop board game space, and they, they might not have been exact same in terms of specific criticisms, but in terms of generic form. I mean, that was the bit, right? Like you, mm-hmm. there, there would be like a rise of a prominent kind of like board game influencer. In general, that person would start to be fairly responsive to what felt like you know probably what probably were like misogynistic, racist, homophobic, you know, some ism, uh, like like some nefarious content or responses that had have no place in that community. That person would speak openly about how toxic the community is, and then that person would say, "I'm no longer posting about board game stuff anymore." And then we just do this cycle over and over and over again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 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 the conversation about all of it was, for a while, it was we need to expunge our community of these people, and then it turned into this is the natural arc of this community, and then it turned into this is the natural arc of communities. And at that point, it's no longer like a, a, a nuanced criticism of a thing. It's just it's the cycle of time. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it. I don't know that I have a judgment on it, other than to say it sure does seem to happen a lot now. Yeah, yeah at this point, like with the with the current cycle, I've had numerous people that I've worked with who have on multiple social media points that I've I've logged back in to TTRPG yes. community in blank. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is because this has been going on for so long and is so fucking toxic and stupid Yes, that people check out of like the g- engagement with the space and they just put heads down and focus on making stuff mm-hmm. or they just check out of the industry altogether. Yeah. Um, but multiple of them have gone on and multiple of them have said basically the equivalent of just like, why are you surprised? It's the exact same shit that's happened before. It's the exact same shit everybody was telling you about. Why are you surprised? Mm-hmm. What yeah. I've seen today is tweets saying, like, the first tweets are, I'm seeing a lot of people now that I'm jumping my back in the toe th- that are saying this. And I'm seeing tweets today, it's like, I'm seeing a lot of people jumping back into the TTRPGs just or seeing yep, that. There it is. <laughs> and it's just this endless, endless churn. And it just becomes exhausting to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but just because it becomes exhausting to think about, I think it's odd because like I don't have a name for it. I don't have a name for the um take apocalypse or the take a boros or 
um, whatever's going on, like the the cliche pointing out of a cliche or yeah. trend mm-hmm. of some sort. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. I think this is maybe what people were striving at with the hipster phase, mm-hmm. like a while ago. Perhaps they were like, maybe that was a inadequate and sort of like doomedly class based grasp mm-hmm. at the concept of becoming too meta. Uh, too self-aware of the discourse, but um, it's a thing. I don't. I don't think yeah. Trekkies one forty is wrong at all. Yeah. No. No. I, I think. I think what's changed is uh, our ability to document uh, events happening in real time, and then our record keeping of them, and our ability mm-hmm. to find them at previous. Events. So, like, totally. I think these same kind of things, these same kind of cycles happen like forever, for as long, you know, for a long time. And, uh, but now we're able to like, oh, well this remember, this is very similar to this and this and this. And so I think that's what Twitter and social media and the internet has done in general. It's just like, it's, it's flattening all of history in a sense. Like we're just being able to pull and get more context. So like, it's our perception of it that has changed. Like this has always Mm -hmm. been happening. It's just, holy shit, this has been happening. Uh, well, uh, I think the, I think the, with the technology thing, the cycle has also accelerated. Yeah, yeah. that too. Yeah. Especially with uh, Twitter and social media in general. Yeah. 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 And, and specifically the cycle, um, the uh, mediums in which we can offer takes has outpaced the uh, creation of content. And so mm-hmm. at some point takes our content and which makes them their own content to have takes on. And, and so because we want new things all the time, but we cannot produce new things at the rate with which people can come up with takes on anything that is produced. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, there's, there's, there's flatly just a, a, a take gap and we got to fill it with something. Cause that's what we do. So we just fill it with takes and, <laughs> um, and, and it's become its own uh, discourse. It's become its own uh, uh, bucket of content. Mm-hmm. And to be clear, I mean, we did this 30 minutes ago about, um, Evil Superman. Yeah. And and that's just because like that's kind of where we are. And so in some ways And there's the same reaction to like, oh, you said Batman's a fascist, how original. Like I've seen right. that before. Like, and again, yeah. it's been around since the eighties. I completely totally. agree. Yeah. Yes. Um, it might just be a fact that we're all going insane because culture refuses to move forward. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. we are endlessly trapped in the 80s, 90s, and today. And today has been 22 years long. Uh, yep. Top yeah. Gun's back, baby. Yeah, Top mm-hmm. Gun's back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like I do think like part of it is just the entire culture going insane. Like right. just losing its goddamn mind. And, you know, who can blame them? Or us. Yeah. Right. No. Stranger uh, yeah. Things, who I've been nothing but a champion for, except for that second season, which wasn't very good, specifically <laughs> that Chicago episode. Mm-hmm. Like... People are losing their goddamn minds over season four of Stranger Things. Folks, it's just Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay? <laughs> like, we all know, like, and they're not hiding it. Um, in fact, that's their bit that they're reusing 80s tropes in 2022 mm. because a lot of us who are alive in the 80s are like, boy, oh boy, I do miss not. They don't make them like they used to. And so it's just, it's not interesting <laughs> anymore. Um, but that doesn't mean that some of this stuff doesn't make for genuinely good content and mm-hmm. content is ripe for discussion. And so that's why in some ways, like, I, I'm not a, pro- I think what Trekkie has pointed out here is, is, is right. It's smart. I don't know that I have a judgment on the fact that there's now a whole canon of takes on takes. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't approach that with like, it's good or bad. It just kind of is to me. But I think that there's a lot of room for nuance in there. 
That is, is it a good take? Is it a useful take? Should we be having this conversation or not? And I, and yeah. I think that those questions apply to criticism as much as they apply to objects and yeah. uh, or, or, or artifacts. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it, it's something to do. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like there's sort of an interesting discussion to have also about like sort of a parallel trend, which is the mining of everything from the past uh, just to have something because it's so old. It's now new. Like, look at how Columbus popped up in the last couple of years as a huge meme and people started rewatching the episode probably because right. it popped up on some streaming service. Um, I saw a Twitter account said Eastern European animation out of context. It's like clips from 1970s and 80s Eastern European cartoons and just putting them up there incredible things that a generation ago 10 years ago were incredibly obscure only found are known about by art historians and you know uh, uh other kind of like highly educated people now are just out there because it's just something novel enough that right. like it's it it, re- it registers on the scale uh, yeah and so and i will tell you that i think yeah. that the way i don't think there's a way out of this broadly but mm-hmm. the way that i have found that I don't feel like I'm interacting with this thing that we're talking about all the time anymore mm-hmm. is by finding new things that I was un- previously unfamiliar with or getting into new communities. And I'm sure that there's a time problem here where that stuff is going to happen too in those communities. But, and I'm going to say this and Caleb is going to immediately shoot me laser eyes because he's warned me about this a million times and I continue not to listen to him. But as I continue to watch more and more anime, like there's a lot of stuff in there that I'm fascinated by, that, I, that I'm interested in, that I'm enjoying, and I am not deep enough into that community or any community, because I, in fact, ignore a lot of our community's conversations about anime, because most of them <laughs> are just adding me to watch more anime, that it hasn't become a thing so wrapped up in takes about that thing that I can't enjoy it yet. And, and that's flatly self-preservation, is what that is. Um, And so that has been like getting into stuff that I wasn't already into and also at the same time being hyper intentional about not getting into the community around that thing has been actually very helpful for me to not get caught up in that web over and over again. Mm -hmm. Interesting question. Um, I don't know. There's not a way out of it, but I think there's things you can do to avoid feeling like that's all you're sitting. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, if you've been listening to this, I got to tell you, you could listen to a lot more Mix 6 podcasts if you wanted to. We have an entire Patreon dedicated to double plus the amount of content you have access to in your regular feeds. Just go to patreon.com, look for the Mix 6 podcast, and you can find a whole hell of a lot more of this. And we know you want to. There's years worth of Food Month content, and this is really going to blow some of your minds. There was like a three-year period where we didn't even restrict Food Month to a month. I did food shit way too often. And so now... (laughs) We keep it limited to a 30-day window. It's the best mm-hmm. 30 days of the year. I think we all agree on that. There's no reason to unpack it. Uh, mm-hmm. Hey, if you're listening to this, don't forget you can follow us on all the social medias and tell your friends and family about us. If you find at least two other people who aren't currently listening to the Mix 6 podcast and send them a link, I bet they'll love it, and I bet they'll pay us money, and I bet that means we can do more of this. So just think about it. Give a gift to just us. Think about it. Just think about it. Um, thanks so much for spending your time with us. I am Spencer. I'm Caleb. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye.